Today on Understanding Immigration, the Department of Homeland Security. You know, I don't think we've ever seen where elected officials are calling out to dismantle an agency just because they don't like the president or the president's policies within the agency. This function of ICE is nothing new. It's not this big scary monster put together by the Trump administration that never existed before. This is not an issue that USCIS has ever encountered before. This is only happening because of the unique circumstances of the coronavirus crisis. Coming to you from Washington, D.C., you are now listening to FAIR's Understanding Immigration Podcast. Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of FAIR's Understanding Immigration Podcast. This is Preston Hennekins from our lobbying department. I'm joined by our director of research, Spencer Rayleigh, and Matthew Tregesser from our media team. Today, we're going to start off by answering a question that we received from one of our listeners regarding the president's executive order to exclude illegal aliens from the census for the purpose of awarding electoral votes and apportionment for the House of Representatives. After that, we're going to dive into our main topic, which is going to be um, a discussion about the different federal immigration agencies within the Department of Homeland Security, what they are, what their role in immigration policy is, uh, and important facts to know about each one. So let's go ahead and start off by tackling this question that was sent in. Armand from Delaware writes, you mentioned that the administration should have begun the citizenship question for the census within the first 100 days. That is obvious given the incentives for hiding the true number of illegals for both parties and for illegal voting. This administration had and has a full plate of issues that will keep them busy for another three terms. What, if anything, is fair doing to advise the administration in a timely fashion on immigration issues like this? So this is a great question. Um, and I can go ahead and start um, just from our, our lobbying and government relations perspective. First and foremost, FAIR continues to engage with our allies in both the administration and in Congress to pursue a number of immigration issues that haven't even been touched yet. Uh, a great example of this is ending chain migration and transitioning to a merit-based immigration system, two things that FAIR has advocated for for years and something that the president actually ran on but is yet to implement. What we continue to stress to people within the administration and in Congress is that although the election is coming up and a lot of people are kind of recoiling on any effort to get anything done before November, uh, the Trump administration can still use executive action uh, in the federal rulemaking process to influence immigration policy for years, even if Donald Trump loses to Joe Biden uh, in the 2020 presidential election. So Matthew and Spencer, I wanted to kick this to y'all. Um, do you have any thoughts about this question? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with everything you just said there, Preston. I mean, I think an another important thing to take from this is, you know, even though if, if Trump were to lose to Biden in November, by him highlighting these immigration issues and, you know, working with FAIR and kind of working on an immigration agenda that prioritizes the country first, you know, you're setting down the framework that hopefully lawmakers in Congress can, you know, create and introduce legislation that will, you know, improve these issues that we're seeing. So, again, it might spark an, an interest, uh, maybe just some creative thoughts with a member of Congress. You know, I know that you and um, RJ from a government relations department worked very closely with the administration on prioritizing the American worker um, amid the COVID-19 crisis and making sure that, you know, employees were hiring Americans before, you know, foreign guest workers. And we saw those two EOs in the last uh, four months or so, one of them halting guest work admissions or some categories of guest work admissions to, again, protect American workers. And just recently in August, we saw another executive order addressing this where um, 
federal contractors had to prioritize American workers over foreign guest workers. So again, I think even though if, if, if Trump were to lose in 2020 in this upcoming election, again, you're, we're still seeing the framework being set and hopefully someone in Congress can take some of these ideas and create longer lasting uh, legislation. Yeah, and I just might add that FAIR always does our best to uh, put forth timely information to advise the administration, whether it's a friendly administration or not on this topic regarding immigration issues. In fact, uh, after the election, but before now President Trump took office, my department, the research department, put together an immigration priorities list for the 2017 presidential transition. And this was a list of dozens of issues that Trump could address immediately within the first hundred days if he wanted to. And so we put together a list of how that could be done. And we also inserted a, a number of things that would be more long-term projects that it would be important for the administration to get started on right away instead of in the, in, in the future. And you know, one of those things, and we're seeing the effects of this now, was the apportionment issue, the citizenship question on the census, because that didn't get started uh, a year or two ago. Now it's gonna have limited effect uh, this year once the census is completed. So our goal is actually to try to get ahead of these issues and raise awareness about their importance so that they can be addressed before it's too late or before it's a rush job. And if that doesn't happen, we continue to stress their importance. So as Matthew mentioned, in the future, whether Trump wins a second term or Joe Biden becomes president or whatever happens, you know, groundwork could be laid for those things to take effect in the future. Yeah, that's um, those are both great points. And I even wanted to maybe jump on something that you brought up, Spencer, which is that, you know, even if, you know, President Trump loses, our, our advocacy and our sending resources to to the incoming administration wouldn't stop, you know, even with, um, say, you know, a Democratic administration or even, you know, another Republican administration that doesn't share President Trump's um, enthusiasm for immigration reform. You know, that doesn't mean that we don't, you know, keep in contact with them and try to still um, influence policy. And I think that's something that all of our, you know, we want all of our listeners to be aware that our advocacy and our you know, educational priorities don't don't end just because um, someone in the White House who's maybe friendly to immigration reform leaves. Um, so let's go ahead now and jump into the main topic of today's episode, which is discussing the Department of Homeland Security and the different immigration agencies that are within the department and why they're important. Uh, it can get pretty confusing since there's pretty much an alphabet soup of different agencies and they all do different things, but they all are involved in immigration policy. So we hope that this episode is going to educate our listeners on the different roles that each of these agencies perform. So Spencer, I want to go ahead and kick it to you first. Could you kind of just give us uh, an overview of how the Department of Homeland Security came into being and then dive into some of the agencies that you think are particularly important? Yeah, absolutely. The Department of Homeland Security, or as DHS is the acronym it's typically referred to, came into being in 2003 as a result of the Homeland Security Act, excuse me, that was passed in Congress the previous year. And this was part of a broader effort in response to 
to shore up national security and make sure that a tragic event like that doesn't happen again in the future. And I, I would be remiss if I didn't add a note to this. There are a lot of organizations that insist that we treat the September 11th terrorist attack as an aberration and assume that there is no threat that such an event would ever happen again. You know, one that we deal with on a regular basis is the Cato Institute, which often excludes 9-11 from a lot of their terrorism-related statistics because they consider it an exception and not something that is a regular threat. We believe that's dangerous and, quite frankly, a stupid approach. Uh, and departments like DHS have played a huge part in thwarting many potential events and attacks from happening on U.S. soil. So it's important that we keep that in mind from the very get-go. You know, there's a lot of people out there that are trying to lead and abolish DHS movement, and that would be tragic for both immigration-related issues, as we're going to dive into, and other national security issues as well. That being said, uh, immigration largely was delegated to the Department of Homeland Security and a number of agencies under its umbrella of authority to address issues such as terrorism, gang members trying to enter the United States, drug smugglers, and other national security threats that wouldn't reach U.S. soil if we stopped them from entering the country through immigration measures. And protecting jobs is part of protecting the livelihood of Americans as well. So really the full umbrella, almost the full umbrella of immigration falls under DHS as delegated by Congress. And there are a number of different uh, of these organizations that fall under that umbrella. And I know we'll get into their specifics as we go through this podcast. The first one would be uh, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement. They operate on the in the interior of the United States, you know, seeking out immigration lawbreakers, illegal aliens, and also the movement of illegal goods within the United States. Another is Customs and Border Protection, also known as CBP. They operate on the border. And again, we'll get into some of the specifics on that, but ICE operates within the country, CBP operates on the border. And another is uh, USCIS, and what they do is they facilitate immigration in the United States, You know, whether it's through particular visa programs, ensuring that those that are applying to enter the United States have the necessary qualifications to enter. So that's just a quick overview of some of the agencies that fall under Department of Homeland Security. Great. And so, Matthew, uh, I wanted to quickly kind of kick to you, maybe if you could discuss some of the stories just broadly within um, DHS, where, you know, there have been some some far left lawmakers who have even suggest have suggested that we should break up DHS. You know, why why are they saying this and what does that mean uh, for immigration enforcement in the future? Yeah, so there have been calls by numerous open borders advocates and the radical left to completely dismantle uh, the Department of Homeland Security, which is obviously extremely reckless and obscene. Recently, I actually read an op-ed in the Washington Post by a House Democrat named Norma Torres, and as well as an op-ed in USA Today by ACLU Director Anthony Romero, and they both had the same argument that DHS needs to be dismantled and defunded. But my immediate question is, okay, well, what are we dismantling it into what? And they didn't really offer any credible solutions in these stories. And it's kind of part, they represent this larger movement to, or by the far left, to eliminate any type of law enforcement in the country. We see this with abolish ICE, abolish the police, now it's abolished the Department of Homeland Security, which, by the way, 
received bipartisan support when it first came into effect in 2003. So, you know, if there were real concerns about DHS, why weren't these brought up, you know, under the Obama administration over the course of eight years? There was complete silence by the left. Now that Trump is in charge of this agency, they want to completely dismantle it just to give them as little power as possible. And again, you know, we'll talk about the organizations under DHS, but there are so many with their funding, their intelligence, their personnel that really make the country safer. And whether this is ICE, who deports criminal legal aliens from the country, or CBP, who makes sure that our goods and imports are safe and secure. TSA, I mean, you get on a flight, they make sure that flying is safe. And the list goes on and on and on. And obviously, I, I like to add too is, you know, our country, our citizens, our law enforcement, our elected officials, they all see the major role that DHS plays. And, you know, you see it by the, the sheer number of employees the organization has, the agency has, and also the amount of funding that it receives annually. And it's, you know, continuously ranks in the top three or five in both categories. And again, it's just a, a necessary feature for any modern country to have a, a department that protects the homeland, that protects the well-being of its citizens. And to dismantle it, I, I just can't see how that's a sensible solution, especially after the attacks on 9-11. All right, so Spencer, I want to bring up uh, one of the agencies that Matthew just touched on and probably one of the most controversial of the immigration agencies within DHS, which is Immigration and Customs Enforcement, uh, known by the acronym ICE. Can you tell our listeners out there what ICE does and you know how important they are to the role of immigration enforcement in this country. Yeah, absolutely. Simply put, ICE is responsible to for apprehending illegal aliens and other immigration violators in the interior of the country, in contrast to Border Patrol and CBP, which handles our border areas. And so ICE operates in conjunction with local law enforcement to not only apprehend illegal aliens, but other immigration violators, and also the movement of illegal goods and services that occur within the United States as well. ICE, as it's known now, was founded in 2003 when DHS was organized, but the function of ICE goes all the way back to the 1930s when it was still part of the Immigration and Naturalization Service, or the INS as it was known. It has two primary uh, departments that operate under it. One is Homeland Security Investigations, and the other is Enforcement and Removal Operations, which is honestly probably the more controversial of the two. But as I mentioned, this function of ICE is nothing new. It's not this big, scary monster put together by the Trump administration that never existed before. In fact, it was quite active under the Obama administration, under the Bush administration, the Clintons, and long before that. They serve the purpose of removing those who violate our immigration laws. So really, this controversy about ICE is, is kind of a more modern construct and part of a broader movement to essentially dismantle immigration restrictions of any kind, immigration enforcement of any kind in the United States. Yeah, that's that's a great point. And so, Matthew, I then wanted to transition to you and talk about another um, somewhat controversial agency that deals with interdicting illegal aliens at the border, which is Customs and uh, Border Protection. And of course, within that umbrella is the Border Patrol itself. 
Um, so can you take us through an overview of what CBP does and maybe how they're different from the role that ICE performs? Right. So, yeah, so it's important to first distinguish CBP from BP. I, I know they both sound the same. They both have the same letters in the acronym. Uh, so CBP stands for U.S. Customs and Border Protection. BP is Border Patrol. And BP, the Border Patrol, is a subunit of CBP. So CBP is the largest uniformed law enforcement agency in the country. They have more than 28,000 officers, believe it or not. And their primary responsibility is to protect the nation's 325 ports of entry. And so the port of entry, a port of entry could be something along the border between the U.S. and Mexico or U.S. and Canada. It could be a seaport. It could even be an airport in the interior of the country. And so um, they're enforcing hundreds of federal laws and, and immigration laws and primarily focusing more so on trade and customs. But they can also arrest you know, an illegal alien if, if they find one. Now, elements of CBP date all the way back um, to 1789 when George Washington actually uh, authorized the collection of duties on certain imports through the tariff of 1789. So it's dated back almost three centuries ago. And today, you know, they are still working, again, with the same type of mission. Um, and I think one thing that will distinguish CBP from Border Patrol is actually by their uniform. CBP officers generally wear a, a dark blue uniform, whereas a Border Patrol agent will have kind of an olive color. Now, Border Patrol is a little bit different than CBP because they're primarily responsible for patrolling the areas at and around uh, U.S. land borders. And so they're the ones that we'll see in the news generally detecting and apprehending illegal aliens, uh, smugglers of aliens, and they can actually arrest and detain aliens within 99 miles of land borders. So they have some space to do um, law enforcement. And again, uh, their kind of responsibility dates back all the way until 1904 when the Department of Commerce and Labor patrolled the border in an effort to prevent illegal border crossing. So they've been with us for a long time now, they've been called different names, obviously. But, you know, I, I'd say the biggest distinction between the two is one, the uniforms, but also two, Border Patrol is mainly working along the border. Uh, and they're mostly going to be arresting illegal aliens, those who try to cross illegally and those who are seeking asylum, not uh, at a port of entry. Great. And so in addition to Customs and Border Protection, Border Patrol and ICE, um, there is one final uh, immigration agency, um, which is USCIS, uh, which stands for um, Citizenship and Immigration Services. And unlike CBP and ICE, both, uh, you know, both of which, you know, handle more of the enforcement side, USCIS's only role is to handle and process um, different applications for visas um, into the United States. They handle everything from green card allocation to processing non-immigrant visas after the State Department has has handled that. So they have a much more non-controversial role compared to ICE and CBP. One of the most interesting parts about USCIS, though, is that they are entirely fee-funded, which means that mm -hmm. they don't receive money through the congressional appropriations process, um, which, you know, this can be a good thing and a bad thing. For instance, um, it's a good thing because the, particularly in the age of um, President Donald Trump, the appropriations process for the Department of Homeland Security has become an intense political battle, meaning that, you know, the House of Representatives controlled by the Democrats 
will try to strip as much money as they can from CBP and ICE. Um, and then they get to the Senate and the Senate, obviously controlled by Republicans, does not want to strip that same money. So they get into really kind of a staring contest that in the end really affects, you know, the operational capacity of both of those agencies. USCIS does not have to deal with that because they make most of their money um, and they support their entire agency through fees that immigrants pay to USCIS to process their visas, to process their applications, to adjust their status, things like that. Um, But one of the most interesting developments has been that because of the travel restrictions put in place because of the coronavirus, USCIS has actually um, had a bit of a budget shortfall. And there have been people that have called for them to change to a congressionally appropriated um, funded agency, which FAIR uh, actually does not agree with. We don't support that. Uh, and we, we have always supported the um, fee-funded nature of USCIS. But it's a, it's a pretty big um, difference compared to, to CBP and ICE. And I don't know if either of y'all had anything you wanted to add about, you know, kind of the huge chasm of difference between USCIS and um, the two enforcement agencies under DHS. I think you touched on it pretty well, Preston. One thing I might add is, you know, moving away from the, the fee-based process, which is really important to keeping this program funded and ensuring that, you know, proper background checks and documentation can be provided to those who are seeking admission to the United States, is if it becomes one of these intense political battles where you win points for, you know, either defunding or removing funding, or if it gets caught in the middle of one of these broader battles and has a lapse in the funds that it receives, that that would be unfair not only to those that work for this agency, but to those who are seeking admission to the United States. So the program, as it's currently administered, allows for itself to stay in function without any kind of potential lapse to it. So, I mean, just for efficiency's sake, it would uh, it would it makes sense to keep it as it's currently administered. Right. And something, too, is that this is not an issue that USCIS has ever encountered before. This is only happening because of the unique circumstances of the coronavirus crisis. So I think to rapidly change their entire funding structure just because of what is hopefully a temporary crisis, um, I think is very short-sighted. Uh, and I agree with you, Spencer, that it would be um, you know, not only a disservice to the employees of USCIS, but also to immigrants themselves who changing, you know, if if you get into a political battle over USCIS funding, um, that really does hurt immigrants that are trying to come to the U.S. Um, And that's, it's unfair to them to have to go through that in addition to the hoops they're already jumping through to legally enter the United States. And one more thing I want to add to that, it's also not fair to U.S. taxpayers who are currently struggling to make ends meet, you know, millions who have applied for unemployment or for some sort of income assistance aid, it doesn't make sense and it won't be fair to suddenly strap them with additional liabilities at the federal level. Absolutely. Absolutely. Matthew, do you have anything you want to add before we wrap up? No, I mean, I, I just want to reiterate to our listeners out there that this radical movement by these open border advocates to dismantle law enforcement around the country is reckless. I don't think our society has ever seen this happen, especially 
with a federal agency like DHS that helps us in so many ways. And we just highlighted how the uh, organizations under the umbrella of DHS just protect Americans, protect migrants even. I think that's something we haven't really touched on is the Border Patrol is not just protecting the borders from dangerous criminals. They're saving migrants who are left in the desert in uh, northern Mexico by uh, human smugglers, cartel members, and they do save a lot of lives. And that goes with ICE, that goes with uh, CBP. A lot of these uh, organizations are, are protecting not only law-abiding Americans, but also illegal immigrants. And it's, you know, the more that you defund something, the more that you just try to dismantle it, it's just not going to be good for the country. And, you know, I don't think we've ever seen where elected officials are calling out to dismantle an agency just because they don't like the president or the president's policies within the agency. I mean, it's really reckless. And I, I just hope that they walk back these, uh, these hot takes. Completely agree. And uh, I think, Matthew, that's a, as good a point to uh, stop as ever. I'm leaving off on that. Um, so to our listeners, we hope that you've enjoyed today's episode and continue enjoying the new format that we're trying out. Uh, and perhaps um, we hope that you learned something about the intricacies of our federal immigration system and the agencies um, that make up the Department of Homeland Security in regard to immigration policy. As a reminder, we're going to be releasing a new episode every other Monday. Our episodes are available on most platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. You can also visit our website, fairus.org, and our Twitter handle, at Fair Immigration, to access these episodes. So please spread the word. Uh, We hope that each and every one of you are continuing to stay safe and sound. Until next time, this has been Understanding Immigration, presented by FAIR.